0: You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Father, I just ask that as we now approach the Scripture, Your Word, You've given to us for us to delight in, to know Your heart, to hear from You. I pray that You would just use it. Use it to sharpen us. Use it to make us more like Christ. Use it to open our eyes. We pray for our brothers and sisters. We don't know them. Um, but but they are our brothers and sisters. They are uh, children of you, and and so we mourn with them as they lost everything. Some of them. Like, we pray for this church, for Bridgeport Bible, that uh, that you would just use it in this time for people to come to see the gospel, to hear it, to to know that there is something more important than uh, than things here, that there is an eternal kingdom, that there is a Savior who loves, and that. bad as it gets here that one day there will every tear will be wiped away and so we just pray for the opportunities for them pray you'll use our resources that you've given us in a way that that glorifies you there um pray for our classes parenting finances uh marriage all these things are important lord you taught on them you speak on them they they are so vital to really our, our witness and our effectiveness for the gospel often and so use these classes uh for your name's sake, use our community groups to encourage and come alongside and even evangelize in some places. So we just trust you with these things. Uh your word is true, your word is holy. Help me to, to communicate it clearly now to your people. It's in Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. All right, we are in Luke 14. So go ahead and open your Bible or your phone or your iPad or your whatever you have, you know, Kindle if you're really old school, I guess. Um does anyone have Kindles anymore? I don't even know. But anyway. Uh, but open your Bibles to Luke 14. We've been working our way through, through Luke. And if you're visiting, you're new, one of the things that can we do, we open the Scripture every week. Why? Because we believe God has spoken. We has, he has revealed Himself in His Word. And so we kind of systematically work through books of the Bible. We've been in the book of Luke for a while. It's been a while. Let's be honest. It's been a while. Um, and we'll finish it around Thanksgiving. Here's the thing. God wants you to know what He says. I know a lot of people come to the Bible, they're like, I'm all confused, I don't get it. Uh, And there are some things if you kind of, you need a little bit of instruction, uh, sometimes working your way around the Bible, but God wants you to know what He is thinking. He's not like, okay, let me make this as confusing as I can so these people don't know what in the world they're doing. That's not His heart. His heart is to be clear. And So so Jesus taught in a way that was clear and and succinct and often kind of what people needed to hear. He was a master of doing it. Right, and so we've been looking at his words as we look through Luke, uh, and one of the privileges I get is I get just to take the Scripture, and one of the things I like to do is take the Scripture, try to make it as simple as I can so that you understand it and you can apply it. All right, so that's what we're going to do, and I'm just trying to follow the, the example of what Jesus did. Jesus was a master teacher. Everywhere he went, he taught, and it wasn't just kind of behind the pulpit, you know, on the stage. Yes, he taught in the synagogues and he taught in the temples, but he taught everywhere, I mean, think about all the places that Jesus taught. He taught from a boat. He taught sitting down in a field. He taught at a wedding. He'd be at parties. He'd teach. He teaches all over the place. He goes on a walk. He's teaching. He's in a field. He's teaching. One of the places that Jesus, you'll often find him teaching, one of his favorite places seemingly, is at dinner. Is having a meal. Right? Teaching while eating. And we get to, as we're in Luke 14, we are going to see a passage, Jesus is teaching at Supper. And it's one of those dinners, it's way awkward dinner. Have you ever been to one of those dinners, you're like, whoa, I got invited over here and this is, there's clearly some tension. And it's kind of fun because you're not involved in it, you just watch. You're like, yeah, this is fun. All right? you ever been at one of those? We get to kind of sneak in and watch Jesus at this really, really awkward meal. And he's going to expose some things and he's going to teach some things that we want to grasp. All right. So let's jump in Luke 14. And and again, as we get closer to the cross, the opposition is getting more ferocious. But this is what I told you. This is why we call it fall and rising, that Jesus was a a, a sign that we be opposed. Remember from the beginning that, that some would fall and some would rise and some would oppose. And these guys are, they're ramping it up. And they're going to get madder and madder, and especially after this awkward meal. All right? So chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath. And you can just stop right there, because that's like foreshadowing. That's like the guy that's like, let's get ready to rumble. I mean, you know what's coming when he starts off with one Sabbath, right? Right? So one Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Again, this is not just your average low-level Pharisee. This is like Chief Muckety-Muck. Got the biggest hat, got the biggest house. He's the big wig. They say, Jesus, come on over to dinner. And they were watching him carefully. Literally, the word means lurking. They're just watching him chew and eat and staring. And it's way awkward. Awkward meal. And then Luke kind of lets us in on another piece. And behold, and and this word means see. So Luke is trying to let you see this picture. It's really weird. They're watching Jesus chew and 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 all of a sudden, and there's this man. It's right in front of him who has dropsy, which I had to to Google it because I didn't know what it was. So dropsy is a disease where the liver, the heart, something is not functioning right. So it causes the body to take on water. So it's like you swell, you literally are like a sponge, you just kind of like, and it deforms the body, and you can press down all the way, and it just kind of like, it's like like your body's like a water balloon, it's very painful, it it deforms, it hurts. And so this guy is standing there while everyone's kind of watching Jesus. And if you think, this kind of smells funny, something ain't right, a little bit shadiness going on. See, here's the Pharisees. They would normally never associate with this guy because he was considered unclean ceremonially in all sorts of ways. And they didn't care about people. So there's no way they would normally have him, especially on a Sabbath in the main dude's house. But it just so happens that Jesus is there. And oh, this guy is there too. It's shady because... It's a trap. (laughs) Okay. It is a trap. All right. There's your Star Wars reference for the day. Force Friday. Right. it's, It's a setup. Why? So if Jesus heals the guy, he breaks the rules. If he doesn't heal the guy, he is uncompassionate. He's not sweet. He's not kind. So they think, we got him. So what they do is they say, hey, Jesus, come to our house. We're going to get some public subs after church. Come to our house. And so we'll eat public subs together. And there just happens to be this guy standing there while Jesus is eating his salami. <laughs> That's probably, he probably didn't eat salami. That was unclean. He ate ham. No, ham's pig. He ate, uh, <laughs> he had roast beef. He had a roast beef sub, right? So it's, so it's, it's a setup. It's It's awkward. Right? And they think they got him. They're kind of ignoring the fact that he's already healed like seven people on the Sabbath already. And they're ignoring that whole like son of God piece. So I I think he's going to be okay. But verse three, Jesus responds. All right, he doesn't do anything at first. He asks a question. All right, the trap has been sprung and now he's flipped the trap back on him. He says, is it lawful to hear on the Sabbath or not? What has he done? Now he's put them on the spot. If they say, whoa, yeah, it's lawful, then they're going to start fighting. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, no, no. And they get these group. If, he say, if they say, no, then they're the ones who look harsh. They're the ones who are mean. So he has sprung their trap. So what do they do? How do they answer? They don't. They just awkward silence. Right? Awkward silence. And so, and it, I love it, it says Jesus just took him and healed him and sent him away. And Luke, who normally gives you details about healings, gives you none. I want to know how the healing went, quite honestly. I want to know, because I, I mean, this guy's all puffy, like the Stay Puft Marshmallow man. And all of a sudden he just dries up and he's, and he's fine. And he walks out. I want to know, but he doesn't tell us. He just says Jesus heals him. He sends him away. And then he looks at these people and says, which one of you having a son or an ox has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? So you're, you're walking to church, your kid falls in a ditch, what do you do? Sorry, son, we'll throw you a sub later, I can't get you out. I'll pick you up in the morning. Is that what you do? Maybe some of y'all. You're like, date night, tonight, kid's gone, <laughs> it's in the ditch. He said, no, you, you, you pull your ox out, you pull your kid out, you hypocrites. That's the idea, and, and again it's just silent. They can't, they can't respond. They don't say anything. They're just going to eat. Right? And so now that it's awkward, now that we've broken the awkward deal, Jesus just says, well, now that we're here, let's keep going. Right? He, and so he tells a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So, so Jesus has been invited to this house, big house, and and everyone, when they walk in, they're jockeying for position at the, at the table. Because back in then, the table was kind of like, you're, you're, who's the most important? And so it would have been a table that looked a little bit like this. Uh, it's a U-shaped table. And the host would sit at the bottom of the U. All right, he's the host. And if you were the most important person, you would sit on his right side. That was like the place of honor. And then the second most would be on his place of left. And so what you have is the further away from the host you are, the like least important person you are in the room. And so Jesus kind of stands back and watches as these Pharisees all jockey for position. So they kind of, you know, look up at the name cards and and they see, ooh, and they kind of lick, get the fork out and they'll lick the fork because now I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm going to put my card and they're just kind of playing this game, right? Who's going to get to sit in the most important spot? So you think, ooh, look how important he is, which means guess which spot is probably left open, the least important spot, which guess who probably ends up sitting there? Jesus, the irony is you have the king of Israel sitting at the lowest place of the table. And so he tells him a parable about how stupid this is, right? He says, when you are invited, when you're invited by someone to a wedding, don't sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he invited you, will come and say to you, hey, give up your place, and then you will go to the lowest place. But when you're invited, go sit in the lowest place. Then when your host comes, you may say, hey, no, 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 move, move up higher. You'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Right? Now, this is, I mean, this is a, this is a punch across the face to these folks. These guys are not used to getting hammered, and he is hammering them for what they just did. But what he's trying to do is expose their heart. Show them. Right, he says. Every the point of this little mini parable is everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be be exalted. What's the issue of the Pharisees? It's pride. They're all about themselves, right? And so it's awkward. It's kind of like they're all like, well, and Jesus says, okay, you're going to be quiet. Let me let me keep talking. (laughs) Let me tell you another story. And he looks right at the host of the guy who invited him and says, let me tell you about your invite list. Let me tell you a story. He said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and and you'll be rewarded. That's your full, that's your payment. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The problem is not having friends over. So don't take it to the extreme. Ecclesiastes says all about, like, we celebrate with friends. So it's not about inviting your, oh, I can't have my brother over. It, it, the point is, why are you having someone over? Is it so that next Saturday you're going to like, okay, we're going to invite the Joneses over because, and, and I'll cook like cheap hot dogs because next week they'll invite us over and we'll get filet mignon. That's the idea. It's they're only inviting people over so that they get something back. That's the heart of it. Right? And Jesus says, don't do that. If, you, if that's your heart, if you're just doing stuff so that people will repay you, you've already been paid. But if you will give to those who cannot give you back, anything, the broken, the needy, the blind, he says, you'll be blessed because when you stand before Jesus, your creator, in the end of days, you will feel his pleasure as he delights in you and you'll have eternal reward. But the problem is, again, he says, these guys, everything they do is for themselves. Even their giving is so they will get. It's arrogance. And Jesus is just kind of, trying to get to the heart of the matter with these guys. You guys are proud. You're arrogant. Right? And so it's awkward. And so there's this well-meaning dude. He's like, man, this is going a bad direction. We need a change of subject. we got to change the... Let's talk football or something. Let's talk... Let's change the subject because it's not going well. So this one man at the dinner table, kind of with vigor, shouts out, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's a great... That's a nice subject change, Right? Let's talk about heaven. Not that it's like, you know, let's talk heaven, Jesus. Wouldn't it be great when all of us get to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven? And he is making one major mistake. He's assuming that he will be there. Right? It's like someone assuming, hey, you know, isn't it going to be great? It's like a Georgia fan saying, "Isn't it been great when we play for the national championship and we beat Alabama and we rub that ring in their face?" It's 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 a that's a pretty big assumption. I mean, yeah, you beat App State. congratulations, All right? I think they play eight man football at Upstate, don't they? But it's it's a huge assumption that you're like, um, I think you're putting the cart before the horse, aren't you? So Jesus is gonna tell a parable to these boys who think they're going to win national championship, but they're not even in high school yet. Right? And so he says this, verse 16. He said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. And so what you have in in that culture is this kind of two-step invitation. Now, when I got married, we sent on an invitation, people said yes or no. Now you have all these other things. You got the save the date. You got the blah, blah, blah. You got the this or that. You got the this. You got to take a picture. You got Right? There's all these things. Well, actually, it's very similar. So you get engaged. What do you do? Save the date. November, 2026, we're getting married. Well, that's like seven years from now. That's like, thanks for you. But but that's the idea. The guy sends out the save the date. Hey, we're going to have a party. RSVP. And everyone RSVPs. And so after some time and he gets the party ready, he says, now, come. Everything is ready. All you guys who RSVP'd, I've done this huge banquet up. We're ready. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a celebration. But then there's a problem. Because all these folks who RSVP'd, they got excuses why they can't come now. Right? They, they, they said they're coming, but they got all these excuses. And, and Jesus in this text is being sarcastic. If you think Jesus is is this boring guy, he's actually using hyperbole and being sarcastic. He's going to give the most ridiculous responses on purpose to show these guys what knuckleheads they really are. So he says, so so the guy comes back with all these excuses. The first says, oh, I got a field. I I bought a field and I got to go see the field. So excuse me from the party. All right. The idea would be he bought a field and he never saw it before. How many of you bought a house and you never saw it? I got this house. We bought it. It's over on, you know, Skidaway. I, got, I don't know if I like the, the carpeting or if the plumbing works. Can you excuse me from the party? How dumb is that? First of all, you don't buy a house without looking at it, unless you're like me when I went to seminary and my wife never saw it, but that's a, that was dumb. Don't do that. You, you get it inspected and you go look at it and you take the realtor and you're like, hmm, and you negotiate a price. Right? And even if I did see it before, I could go tomorrow. The house is not going anywhere. It's, it's lame. It's a lame excuse. Second guy, well, I got, I got five yoke of oxen, which is like for that day, an exuberant amount of oxen. It's like having 10 John Deere tractors. Who needs 10 John Deere tractors? I mean, I would like them. And we'd have a race or something, but not for any use. It's silly. And by the way, who's going to go buy an ox without inspecting it? What if you bought like a 93-year-old ox that has like two legs and it's kind of dragging itself and you don't know it? You're not going to buy 10 ox as expensive as they are without checking them out. And even if you did, again, you could go in the morning and check the oxes out in the morning. They're going to be there. It's a dumb excuse. The last guy is the, the dumbest excuse. I got a wife. Maybe it is a good excuse. I don't know. I got a wife. Because all of us know that a woman would never want to go get dressed up, go dancing, have a good time, eat filet mignon or, you know, shrimp and grits. They'd much rather eat Cheetos with you on the couch. (laughs) Yeah. They are all lame excuses. Right? And so Jesus responds... So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Now remember, who's the master in the parable? The master is Jesus. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, and the word for anger there is furious. We don't like this idea that Jesus might actually be furious at some point. We love Jesus carrying a sheep, running the daisies, you know, long flowing hair, blue eyes. You know, we love that Jesus. We don't like this idea that, that there's a, there might be a holy anger. But he says he is furious. Why would he be furious? Because he invited all these people. He spent all this time getting it ready. He, he sacrificed so much. They said they were going to be there. And then all of a sudden, the last minute, they, they're out. It'd be like you. You're having a big party. And you're, you tell everyone, hey, come to our house. We got a family. You buy all this food. You buy all these things. And then the last minute, people call and cancel. And then come to find out. You, it's not that they were sick. They actually just went to another party. How does that make you feel? Rejected. Hurt, right? Disregarded. Here's Jesus saying, come, I've prepared this great thing, and they blow him off. And so he says, okay, well, if they don't want to go, go out into the streets, in the lanes, in the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame." And again, don't, don't press the parable saying something it's not saying. It's not saying that everyone who has some kind of physical difficulty is going to heaven. It's not saying that. What is, in that culture, the people who are lame, those were the unclean in their culture. They were the neglected. They, they didn't care for them. He's saying, I want you to go invite them. They never get invited to anything. They're the ones that are, that are needy. You go get them and bring them in, the poor, the neglected. Get them in here. Don't go after these, these Pharisees, these, these spiritual lemons. You know what a a lemon is? When you buy a car, it looks real good, but inside it runs like junk. That's a lemon. If a car looks like junk and runs like junk, it's a beater, which is what all 16-year-old children should drive. Not beamer, beater. Some of you made that mistake. Beater, not beamer, right? But a a lemon is something that looks good and it's really junk on the inside. These Pharisees are, are lemons. They look great. Yeah, we're going to come, but they're dead. He says, go after the ones that are not so enamored with cars and houses and jobs and stuff. Go after those who want to be there. Go after those who need to be there. Go after those who are never invited. you will get them because they'll come. And he says, sir, <laughs> I've done that. What you've been commanded is done, and still there's room. We still got like, we we ordered like 50,000 pigs for the pig picking. We got plenty. The master says, well, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel, beg people, get them in here. I want my house. I love this line. I want my house full. This place is going to be jamming. Fill it up, except for them cats. I tell you, none of those men who were invited will taste of my banquet. None of them, right? Those guys who think they won the national championship. And if you think it was awkward before, they know exactly who he's talking to. He's talking to them. And he knows exactly what he's saying. I, you are no longer invited. I am going after the Gentiles. That's what's gonna happen. And praise God, because 98% of us in this room are Gentiles. We have some, some folks in here that are Jewish believers, but most of us are Gentiles, right? And I'm pretty sure that they skipped dessert. Jesus like, what's for dessert? No dessert, get out. He wasn't invited for Christmas dinner that year, I can guarantee it. But what are some, what are some big ideas we can get from this, right? And it's funny, again, I said it before, we're, we're seeing the same themes throughout this whole this book. In fact, from chapter 11 on, you're going to see a lot of the similar themes. If you're like, they're preaching the same sermon, it's because Jesus preached the same sermon. But let me give you three ideas to kind of take as we move into our time of, uh, of worshiping again. One is negative, two are positive. Let me kind of sandwich them. Let me start with a positive. Here's a big idea for us, and I think it's important for us to get. Number one is that Jesus' kingdom is a celebration, right? How often does the language in the New Testament, even the Old Testament, it's this festive banquet Kingdom language. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, when Jesus says, he he, he talks about parables about getting ready, it's always about the big wedding feast coming or being ready or having your candles ready or oil in your lamp because the big party's coming. There's constantly this language. Even in the parallel text to this, Matthew chapter 22, the same exact parable almost, except it starts, what should I compare the kingdom of heaven to? The kingdom of heaven is like a king who throws a banquet marriage feast for his son. And then he tells this parable. It's constantly this language of festival, celebration, eating, right? It's, it's exciting. It, an important question I think you've got to ask is, what is your view of heaven? Christians, I mean, we, don't, we don't talk a lot. We don't think a lot. You read your average systematic theology, you know, they spend very little time in heaven. In fact, I was kind of doing a scan of mine this week. You know, I was leading like my little Lewis Burkhoff, which is kind of like the Presbyterian go-to. It's got like 75 pages on Calvinism and like one page on heaven. I'm like, okay, that's kind of off whack. But, I, but it's, it's very interesting. We don't talk about it. What is your view? Is your view of heaven that like you're just going to kind of be like on the cloud? You got your harp. It's kind of like a white cloud toilet paper commercial. Well, you know, here I am. It's my turn to play. At least I'm not in the other place. I'm on the cloud. Or maybe some of you view heaven as like a, just a very long church service. (sighs) Who's up? It's Ezekiel's turn. The wheel in the sky is playing again. I mean, you know, (laughs) here we go. Uh, Who's after him? Amos. I don't even know who Amos is. What did he do? I don't know. I think he was a goat herder or something. And and you just have this long view, like heaven's is going to be a long church service. You just can't wait for the offering to to pass so you can get out of there. And so, but the idea of heaven being a celebration, being a, a big party, some of you actually probably struggle with that, I bet. Because you go like, oh, we can't, it can't be fun. I mean, heaven wouldn't be fun because Christians would never enjoy themselves. And, and uh, I'd much rather sit on a cloud with my harp like in the toilet paper commercial than have fun, you know. But, it, but Jesus speaks of celebration and, and festivities. Right? And it's not, there's not going to be some big drunk fest, some gluttonous thing. I'm not talking about that. But you will, be, you will be fulfilling that which God created you to do, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You get to bask in his grace. You get to be removed from the very power and presence and penalty of sin and delight in, in your savior and celebrate his grace and his mercy forever. And there will be food, y'all. Food. Great Food. I mean, if you think about the greatest chef, I mean, you're like, who's the greatest chef? I don't know. Be Bobby Flay. Maybe you can, Bobby Flay is your personal chef. He makes your lucky charms, your ham, he makes everything. You think he, he'd be the greatest. He will be nothing in the kingdom. You will eat like kings and queens in the kingdom. And you know who's gonna cook it up for us? Isaiah tells us. On the, this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast. God, who can beat Bobby Flay, will be cooking. And he will make a feast of rich food, well-aged wine, full of marrow. Aged wine, well refined. I don't know what all the Methodists and the vegans are going to do in heaven. (laughs) I'm just telling you. Maybe there'll be a kitty table. (laughs) There's there's a card table. Hey, if you want kale, you get out of there, okay? (laughs) This is Marrowville, right? We are in Marrowville. We are in Meatville. And it'll be set, and then it's a joyful occasion. He goes on in verse 10. This is all kingdom language. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and let us what? Rejoice. It is a place of joy. And it is the best of the best. There is no hamburger helper. There is no Chef Boyardee. Only the best for the bride of Christ. Why? Because it was purchased with all he had. This banquet is paid for in the blood of the lamb. So is he going to spare an expense? No. And there's, it's going to be great food. It is going to be, there's going to be music and singing. You know, Gabriel and the, and the wings will be leading us, right? And you know who will be singing? Besides you, it's Jesus. In fact, Isaiah, I mean, Zephaniah says, the Lord, your God. This is future kingdom stuff. He's telling Israel, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Who's that? That's Jesus. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with what? Loud singing. That Jesus will sing over his people loudly. Does this sound like this, a long church service? Everyone's like, oh, or a festival, right? And, And that is the party that is the celebration that God is inviting us to. And this is why I tell you, there is a time for somberness and there's a time for reflection, absolutely. But we are to be a celebratory people because that is what we're going to be doing. And my personal opinion is that we ought to start now, is that we ought to be practicing this. And I'm not talking about get debauchery and getting drunk and going downtown to the market at one in the morning. If you're doing that, that's silly. Don't, don't say oh, I'm just practicing what Bill preaches, no. What I'm talking about is getting together with each other, with others, inviting other people in, and just being excited and and celebrating good things that God has done. Because this is what we're going to be doing. Because that brings hope. I mean, when you gather with other followers of Jesus, and there's an encouragement, and there's just this—oh, this is this is great to hang out. There, there is hope because because life is hard, and you see in Houston, life is hard. And we were there last year, and we got people who have lost their children, and we got people who have lost their jobs. And what brings hope is when we gather with people who and party and know that the party's going. And this is why Paul tells us this light, momentary affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory. Yes, it stinks. Yes, there's hurricanes. Yes, there's these things. But this is where we're going. And that is for 80 years. And that's for 80 billion. And then it'll just beginning. All right? I mean, it's, it's a huge motivator to continue to think about what God has for us. As we look for things that are unseen, that are eternal. So we, we ought to be a celebratory people and... Who doesn't want to go to this? I mean, who doesn't want to go to this party? I mean, really? That's that's the second point, and that's the problem, is that this party has a lot of no-shows. There's a lot of no-shows at this party. But I want you to understand this. Who is invited? Everyone. The Pharisees are invited. Are the Pharisees invited? Yeah, they got got to save the date. Are the outcasts invited? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody is invited. And if you don't show up, if you're not there, it's not because you weren't invited. It's because you're a no-show. All you have to do is you turn from your sin. It's called repentance. Owning the fact that you were broken in your sin. You turn and you believe that what Christ did for you on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection was enough. And I believe in that and now I'm following him. That, That is it. It's emptying of yourself and believing in him. And these Pharisees are so self-absorbed, they want nothing of it. They will not believe. They're so busy politicking who's the most important at the table, trying to trick Jesus so they look better. Their priority is everything else. They say they love God, but they really don't. And he is just exposing that. And all he's doing is trying to get them to see, you guys are just as broken as the people in the street. Would you just open your eyes? And they won't open their eyes. So they don't come. And, and here's the question some of us got to ask. How many of you out there have been invited to the banquet, and you've heard the invitation of Jesus that He loves you, that He paid your, for your sins on the cross, and you have lame, dumb excuses why you did not? Well, I'm busy. It's busy season. I got kids. I got work. I got school. You know, everyone's busy. I got four kids, three different schools, two teenagers, one driving, one with a job, one with this. Don't tell me busy. I got busy on steroids. We all got busy. Is that an excuse? Well, you know, I just don't understand everything. That's fine. Are you asking questions? If you're young, you're like, well, I just want to kind of be young and sow my wild oats and everyone's having fun and partying and hooking up and I'm going to do that for a while and eventually I'll come back when I get married and have kids, I'll come back and follow Jesus. Oh, will you? Really, you're going to win a national championship? Really? What's your lame excuse for why you won't follow Jesus? Right? And, and that, the beauty of this passage is Jesus is inviting the religious and the outcast all at one. And I think the most dangerous person actually is not the outcast. I think it's the most dangerous if you find yourself in this camp is you're the religious because religious people are self-deceived. And the whole concept of self-deceived is you don't know it, right? It's very hard to see it. And so you're the guy who grew up in church, and you know, you, you, I, I went down the aisle when I was six, and Grammy prayed me through a prayer when I was seven, and I've been baptized when I was this, and I had an emotional experience at camp, and I raised my hand, and all those things, all those things are fine. Have you really put your trust in Jesus Christ or not? That's all that matters. Are you constantly following him and pursuing him? It's not a one-time deal. I just, I prayed a prayer when I was six. I got on my get out of hell free card and now I can do what I want. It's a, I believe and now I am following Jesus. This is why the very next section, we don't have time to look at it. But Jesus says, you want to come after me? You got to hate your mother, your father, your kids, your everything. What is that about? Jesus, that sounds very un-Jesus. He's not saying hate your mama. The idea, it's hyperbole. It's the idea of comparison. Compared to the way you love Jesus, everything else should be like, it should pale. Right? It, you have to even hate your own life. You have to take up your cross. The idea is I am renouncing everything and I am loving Jesus. That's what a follower does. And they start, and it's not just a one-time deal. I am constantly, the rest of my life, I am heading for the feast. I am walking towards Jesus. And am I going to fall? Am I going to stumble? Yes, I am. But I get up and I keep walking towards the feast. Some of you are not walking towards the feast, and you're going to be no-shows, and you're religious. And some of you are outcasts, and you're thinking here, you're like, man, if these people know who I really was inside, I mean, I got my khakis and my golf shirt on, but they don't really see the brokenness and the dirt and the shame and the stinkiness of my life. And I would say, I don't, you're right, but Jesus does, and He says, go get them anyway. Bring them in, stinkiness and all, smelliness and all. Because here's the thing, most of us in this room, at some point in our lives, we come from some dark places. I come from some dark places. I've done some dark things before I knew Jesus. We clean up well, but you know what? I was there. And the beauty of this feast, y'all, you know what everyone's wearing at this feast? You know what color everyone's wearing? You're not like wearing plaid or, you know, whatever. Everyone's wearing white. Revelation 19, everyone's wearing white. They've been clothed by Christ, that He gives them white linen. It doesn't matter if you're, 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 you've got nasty stuff from the world. Jesus clothes you in white. It's just like when Adam and Eve sin and God has to clothe and hide their nakedness with, with a, a, an animal. God clothes us with the righteousness of Christ so that everyone shows up in white. And you can spill stuff on it and it stays white. Throwing food at each other. No, don't throw food in heaven. But everyone's, it's clean. Why? Because your shame and your guilt and your sin was placed on a man who was crucified at an intersection, a popular intersection, who was stripped naked, who was beaten, who was shamed. And all of your shame and guilt went on him. And he was exposed to the world with your guilt and your shame so that you wouldn't have to bear it. And he went into the tomb and he came out and he says, now, will you believe in me? Do you want to go to the banquet? Right? There's no shame. I have paid for your invitation if you're willing to take it. Don't be a no-show at this party. Don't let your self-absorption my, oh, I got, I got things to do. You got things to do. You might live 90, 100 years. We're going to be partying for a billion and that's just the beginning. Let's, you do the math. Here's the last point. Those who are invited are inviters. The master is an inviter. The servant is an inviter. In fact, the master says compel them. Right, why? Because he wants to fill the room. Isn't that great? That God... So desperately is trying to fill the room. He says, "Go, go, bring whoever." He's got this great banquet. Think about it. God has this unbelievable banquet and celebration for all eternity planned, and He tells you, "Bring whoever you want." Yeah, I got this smelly neighbor. Bring him. I, I got these kids. Bring them. I got this crackhead in it. Bring them. Bring them all. There's plenty of room. How ridiculous would it be for you to know that God has said, bring everybody, and you don't invite one stinking person? Really? That's where you're, that, that's the way you're going to roll? God says, I got unlimited resource, I got unlimited festival, and you're going to just say, well, that's just good enough for me, I got my golden ticket. Hey, that's sometimes the heart of the church, and that is sad. Our job is to be inviters right? We're inviters. I'm not talking, you know, and I, please don't email me, well, God's the one who draws Bill and blah, blah, blah. Don't give me a theological lesson, right? I don't know who the elect are, nor do you. So hush and be an inviter. I'll let the election and all that stuff be God's. Your job is to be a fisher of men. And I'm not saying you're supposed to play junior Holy Spirit. You're the convictor of the world. No, but you are to be inviting into God's story, telling your story, inviting into what is, God is doing, That is your job. And if you're like, well, I got my ticket, then you might have a fake ticket. Because if you, you cannot love Jesus and not care about other people, I'm sorry. You just can't. Jesus says the greatest commandment, love God. The second is like you love your neighbor. So you can't say, well, I'm going, I don't care about anyone else. Then you might be thinking you're going to the national championship and you're still playing in the double A. That's the bottom line. So we got to be inviters. And if you're a grumpy person, then don't invite anybody because who wants to go to a party with you? I mean, if you're like Mr. Miserable at work and always critical and always this, and all you can do is talk about how bad this is, please don't invite, don't be like, yeah, well, everything stinks. Do you want to go to heaven? Not with you. (laughs) Are you sure you're going? Because you're not too happy. Right, this is why Monday through Saturday matter, more than Sunday. Because the way you live at work, the way you live in your neighborhood, and I'm not saying everyone's perfect, I'm not. I had to go, I yelled at the house yesterday, I had to go back and say, sorry. So no one's perfect, but this is why it matters. And this is why we gotta get outside of ourselves. It is so easy for the church to turn into a clique, Y'all, it's so easy because we like to hang out with those who are like us and those who like the same things and who talk like us and look like us because it makes us feel good. And this mentality of, you know, four and no more, it's not the banquet, right? And we hammer high school students for this, right? Because all the parents, you know, what's all I've always heard? Well, high school ministry, there's so many cliques. Where do they learn it? From you, your parents, because the only people you hang out with is those people like you. The only people you can pursue is those people like you. And so who are we engaging that is different? Who are we looking for? Look, they're all over. The broken, the needy, they're all over the place. And all you got to do is start praying that you would start seeing them and God will start showing you them. And you just pray, hey, Lord, And and, look, this is an intimidating place. So don't necessarily invite them to church. Bring them to church. That's fine. But this is scary. Y'all are scary. Let me just tell you, y'all are scary people to be around. You drive here and you don't know where you're supposed to go. And, you know, you come in this room and it's kind of crazy and y'all are crazy. Right? And this is why we do the longer greeting time. Some people, why don't you shorten the greeting time? Because I don't want to. And I'm in charge. Because it gives you an opportunity, a little bit of awkwardness, to go and see people that are standing there. And if you're not, then that's on you. It's your fault. And if that person never comes back because no one ever talked to them, it's it's on y'all. It's why the hospitality ministries of our church are so important, right? The greeters and, you know, most of the greeters, they do a phenomenal job getting you seats and they smile. What if they're like, church starts, go find yourself a seat, shut up. I mean, if the people in the children's ministry are like, oh, I hate kids, give me your kid, come back soon. I mean, these ministries are huge. And you play a part in just being an inviter when people are here. But you know what's less intimidating than here is inviting to your house. Inviting to lunch. Inviting to a little Bible study you start at work or to your community group. We had, I just heard a great story someone started coming to our church because they started going to a community group first. Great. It, it's such a relational culture, it, it should, we should start there. But you've got to be an inviter, right? That's, that's who God has called us to be. And why would you not want to invite people to the greatest party ever, the celebration of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb? That's what we're doing. So let's be celebratory and inviters, and let's not be no-shows. I don't want anybody that sits in this room to be a no-show, Please, I and mean, we're going to talk about this in two weeks in chapter 16, one of the hardest chapters in the book. If you do not want to ignore Jesus when he is offering you the free gift of eternal life. Do not want to ignore it. And so if you're hearing his voice today, if you have questions, I'll, hey, email us, call us, grab us after church, we'd love to talk to you. I don't want anyone to be self-deceived. I don't want anyone to think, I'm going to the party, and you're not. All right, and so talk to us about that. We're going to celebrate uh, the table. Ethan's going to lead us. Ethan, come on up.